It's that's it. All right. So so you're coming from God's country, Mississippi. Oh yeah, Uh, Queen City represent Meridian, Mississippi. Um, Are you are you from there? So my dad's family is from here. Um, I I moved here my dad was air force uh so whenever i was a kid Mine we too. went brown really mm-hmm. nice uh we're both air force brats then yeah well uh, he he was done with the moving by the time i got no i lied with my moving i don't remember by the time like i was old enough we had basically stopped right so he was at shaw air force base in uh south carolina Okay. Yeah. Nice. I lived in Asheville for a while and I loved it up there. Nice. Uh, that's where my buddy lives right now. Yeah. That's, that's where my recovery community is really. Um, but yeah, so I moved around until right around middle school. We moved here to Meridian, uh, cause he got out of the air force and, uh, I was homeschooled for a, a very large portion of my youth uh which i was like a social butterfly and so it it was not i wanted to go to school and then i ended up going to a uh a high school here it's the city school of meridian high and uh it's super super ghetto um but it's a it's a good school but anyways so i i was always with the weird kids you know growing up homeschooled and then i felt the need to like what was it like was it was it religious homeschool was it was that the reason you were homeschooled it's it's a lot that so um essentially so my parents are very christian um my dad did not go to church until i was like 12 or 13 and whenever i started you know, uh, acting like a little asshole and causing trouble and stuff like that. And then he started going, but, um, so you you were the reason conservative Christian Southern Baptist household. Um, and, uh, yeah, so we moved around, then we moved here, you know, and, um, I, uh, I kind of lost, I lost my faith whenever I was about 12 or 13. That's also when depression started to set in for me. And, and, uh, I had severe OCD. I have OCD, but, um, you know, I had like severe germophobia and, you know, uh, all the, all the classic symptoms. Um, anyways, so that's, that's when I started screwing around with, drugs i don't know if you want me to like keep going or if you got yeah no i want to take a few of that at a time and this is uh this is jake the duck uh one of um uh a member of the dopey nation from the dopey podcast and um i've been following your comment history (laughs) and that's uh I think it was a, I think it was a post about um what was the post I made? Oh, I was listing my top 10 worst drugs to withdraw from. Yeah, the detox and, comment. Yeah, the worst the worst drugs to withdraw from and I was like, "Oh yeah, this dude kind of knows what he's talking about." So, what I wanted so 
let's see. So how long have you had you you had OCD like as a child? Yeah. So uh, what, how did that manifest? Like, how did they even know? Well, I wasn't diagnosed with anything till I got to be about 12 or 13 because my parents weren't big on, you know, shrinks and, uh, right. you know, so but I had all the classic symptoms of, you know, I'd wash my hands until they were bleeding because, you know, I, I was so germaphobic and, uh, you know, if anybody was sick or I'd known they'd been sick, I'd be freaking out. I had to line up my teddy bears in the correct order or is the universe is going to punish me fucking type stuff. And so, yeah, I, I all the classic symptoms of OCD were there. I did not get diagnosed with that until later, but that's when it was worse. And really what happened was when I got to middle high school age, I realized that my OCD was going to make me have even less friends because it's weird. And so I just, I just shoved it all up back into my gourd. And now I have, now I still, I still have it, but, it's I don't do the compulsive behavior. It's called pure o- OCD. It's actually uh, I- I'm a psych major, so I can oh, go nice. on the wrong rambling. Yeah. Rambling no, go Yeah. Well, anyway. so on that, too. So how much does it bother you? The well, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but that okay. like the current trend, it seems like of romanticizing, fetishizing cutifying like mental illness like on like people on tiktok giving themselves Tourette's or the people that are just like oh my god i'm so ocd because i like my room clean it's like no Um, first off i hate when people say that i'm so ocd even though it's it's stupid it's it doesn't matter but uh because of the uh because of the the grammar you know that you're saying <laughs> i'm so obsessive compulsive disorder i'm disorder and it yeah. that drives me a little nuts but yeah to get back to what you're actually asking about i think that that's a problem nowadays uh and and i don't know what the solution is because obviously you want people who have mental health issues to get support and all this stuff but there is a huge amount of romanticizing it and 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 you know i feel like if you go to the wrong therapist you may end up worse off i've got two sisters that are 12 and 15 years younger than me and one of them is presenting with the exact same type of ocd symptoms that i had and uh she's 15 now uh and you know, I, I worry that if she goes to the wrong counselor, that it may make it worse. I don't know how to really describe that without going on a long rant. But yeah, yeah well, I, so, I, so then give some definition to you said pure OCD, pure O OCD. Oh, pure O, yeah. So okay. pure O means I don't engage in the compulsive behaviors that somebody with OCD does. I just, I think it and it stays in my head. And I basically, I just shoved it all down in order to not look like a fucking, you know, a weirdo. Yeah. And, you know, so then I, you know, 
I, I have it still, but I don't do the compulsive behaviors. I have the same thoughts. I have the same obsessive compulsive thinking process, but I don't, you know, I don't yeah, wash don't my hands them. over and over. Yeah, I, I act like it's not there, but it's still there. <laughs> Did, were you ever medicated for it? I mean, I'm sure. Oh, man. Um, uh, I, I was not, I didn't even become aware of what pure O was until a few years ago. And whenever I heard it, I was like, oh my God, like, that's what I have because I'd been diagnosed. I've been diagnosed with everything under the sun, essentially, you know, you go yep. to a different counselor, a different doctor, all of them are going to have a different opinion on what your issue is. And so I've gotten every diagnosis out there. This one clicked and I was like, that's the anxiety disorder that I've been dealing with. And I, before that though, you know, I was one of those kids that clearly had ADHD was bouncing off the walls and I got medicated at 13. Um, they started me on Lexapro and Vyvanse and Ad or Adderall and then Vyvanse. And I, my dad was in the military, I told you, but he's also a cardiologist. He's a doctor. And so my household was filled with pills. And so they started medicating me about the same time that I started self-medicating um around that time i i didn't start with weed and alcohol i started with ambien was my first ever recreational drug um, well because yeah. there was a cornucopia of phar pharmaceuticals you know yeah. in, in my parents cabinet um well, well we can we can kind of go with that then so what really led well okay i mean briefly so you grew up in a pretty uh sharply religious family so i'm assuming there yeah. were there were pretty strong opinions about things like alcohol drugs and sex right. so right. how did you flip like how did you go to the dark side so to say <laughs> so like i said around 11 i started to lose my faith in god and it scared me because you know i i there's differing opinions on whether a child can really be a Christian and or really have, you know, sure. But I believed with all my heart. And then suddenly I started feeling like I don't have faith anymore. And for no reason. Uh, yeah, no, it just, I don't really know what caused it. I just started to think I, it just doesn't make sense to me. And then I started reading, I started getting into music and playing guitar. And so then I started reading about all these heroes of mine, you know, Kurt Cobain and, you mm. know, then I'd go on to Hunter S. Thompson, William Burroughs and all these people that are really actually like, they were my heroes growing up and they were all drug users. And I was depressed. I don't want to talk bad about my dad because he is now one of the kindest and, and most, you know, understanding people ever. Like, I mean, for yeah. him, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for him. Yeah, the but when I was a kid, my dad was going through med school and residency and stuff and was, he worked constantly. And 
I think it kind of he had he said this to me too that it kind of broke his brain because he had so much going on and I think he's predisposed to depression and stuff like that and so he was a mean son of a bitch when I was a kid <laughs> yeah. uh, and so between that and my own mental health issues and being an only child for many years so I had the I, I I'd like to call it you know um like a like a benign narcissism because I was an only child for a long time, you know. And then yeah. I had two sisters. You didn't know along. any different. Yeah, and um, I was homeschooled, and so I had a lot of attention on me. Uh, but then I started to resent that. I started to lose my faith, and I didn't understand why. And I remember going to my mom and being like, "I just feel sad all the time, and I don't know why. I can't explain it." And you know, she was like, "Well, pray about it." And I just wasn't feeling like it was helping and so at some point in there uh i i started to think i wanted to try psychedelics that was my original thought i wanted to explore consciousness the the whole psychology uh altered states of consciousness all that it was very interesting to me and so that's why i chose ambien i used that whenever i um whenever I finally decided to do it and I took it and I, I remember I sat down watching Malcolm in the middle with my parents and the couch started eating me. I was hallucinating, but the couch was like it, coming over me and, yeah. and swallowing me up. And I remember freaking out and jumping up and they were like, Whoa, what, what was the problem? Because I, I jumped up all of a sudden. And I was like, oh, I, I had a bad dream. I got I got to go to bed. And they're like, a bad dream? Like, you had your eyes open. Like, you were watching this with us. Anyways, <laughs> and at the, at the time, we lived in a double-wide trailer. And I went to my room. And I couldn't find my bed, which it was the only thing in the room. <laughs> but I remember distinctly, as I fell asleep that night, thinking to myself, oh my God, I've got to do that again, you know? Yeah. And no matter how weird and crazy it was, the addict in me was, it was like immediately, oh my God, I've got to try that again, you know? And yeah, and it was, anyways, it was something, I'll, I'll stop it, rambling. it was, it was something different that took you out of yourself and probably gave you that, that was what it did for me was it was kind of the first thing that, stopped the I don't want to say the the tried and true voices in my head but like the running dialogue in my head it just gave me something yeah. different to listen to something different right. to watch that like right. wasn't wasn't myself all the time so yeah how did the escalation go from there so from there I started to become a little more rebellious but you know let me remind you I was in a very strict conservative family, so I lived a double life, essentially. I held, I held a lot of beliefs that I kept to myself or would only say to my closest friends, and I used drugs, and I did all those things. But I also was an Eagle Scout. You know, I was in Boy Scouts, and I went all the way through, and I did everything I was supposed to. I had great grades. I ended up getting an ACT score that was very, very high. And I was thinking to myself, oh, my God, I'm going to get out of Mississippi. 
I'm I'm free, like you know, and yeah. I got my girlfriend pregnant. I oh, was how how old? When you were sixteen. Sixteen, yeah, and uh, and that's almost 15. a that's almost a bigger no no than drugs for like conservatives. Oh yeah, for sure. I'd already been caught smoking weed and a couple other things, and the it's there's so many facets to the story that I yeah don't we'll, like we'll, go we'll off have, on but I know, we'll have to well this will have to be the uh <laughs> but, the cliff's notes but so yeah she but, was 15 I, you so were 16 she, yeah and and she had the baby at 17 or when I was 17 she was 16 um I was about and, to say a two-year pregnancy huh wow <laughs> no yeah <laughs> he was big <laughs> <laughs> You ever seen uh planes, trains, and automobiles with Steve Martin? It's been that... two decades. Yeah, there's a there's a character in there. It's like a country character that's uh uh he's him and his wife pick pick up Steve Martin and uh the other dude I can't remember his name, but he's like, oh man, she's a tough one. First one came out sideways. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, that's uh. And not so, related to anything. So <laughs> it, it, it happens. It's a it's a it's a side rail, a side train. Yeah, yeah so, I spider web with my conversations. I know. Yeah. I'm gonna try I'm gonna try to reel you in. <laughs> okay. So, so all right, so walk me through having a baby at 17 and a burgeoning well, addiction. Yeah. So at this point I've been medicated for a while. Um, you know, I was on Adderall or or Vivance and lyrica because i had lyme disease and so um, oh damn yeah it's a, there's a bunch of things i broke i had appendicitis i had lyme disease i had broken bones and multiple things that ended up with me getting prescription opioids and every time i touched them i would realize i was like oh man i like that too much i can't mess with that but I continued to be taking Adderall and Lyrica as my as as prescribed. But uh, I was medicated the whole time. So she has the baby six months before she had the baby. I took mushrooms or not six months. I think it was a couple months before she was like halfway through her pregnancy. I took mushrooms and I was like, I got to clean my act up. And um I had like a revealing experience where I was like, man, I, I'm not doing what a father needs to do. And so I did clean up my act for a while. I did continue to take the medication I was prescribed as prescribed, but for, I don't know, I want to say like eight months or something like that. I was, you know, I was not drinking, smoking weed or anything. And I really didn't have time to do any of that type of stuff because there was a newborn baby. I was up with them every night. Um, you know, revealing that she was pregnant to my parents and her parents was one of the worst days I can even imagine. It was oh, terrifying. God. Uh, my mom found out over the phone she was out of state, but I ended up, I ended up, we, she took the pregnancy test and we found out we, we did multiple and it was for sure, you know, she's pregnant and we were trying to figure out what to do. And um, she told her mom. So her mom called me and said, you need to get over to our house right now. I'll oh, call God, your dad. No. Yeah. And so I called my dad, who was in a meeting. 
and he's like, what? What's up? And I was like, Dad, I got something. I really, uh, it's big, and it's not good. <laughs> and he was like, well, what, what's going on? And, you know, I was terrified, but I was like, Anna's pregnant. And he, he just sighed and was like, well, okay. Uh, and I told him that he needed to come out to their house and uh, that I was going out there as well. And he was like, okay. And they just hung up the phone. So I was, I had no idea how anybody was going to react other than her mom. You know, I'd already talked to her and we got there <laughs> and we, we sat outside, outside of the house. And my, my fiance or my ex fiance, uh, my yeah, baby mama yeah. is the way I'm going to refer to her from now on. My baby yeah. mama was like puking from anxiety outside because oh, her yeah. mom had gone in to tell her dad and uh, I could hear him screaming and yelling and stuff and eventually they brought us inside and my dad got out of the car and I think this is where he started to change and become a, a more understanding and loving you know guy because he was he was very callous when I was growing up um he got out of the car and he gave he gave my baby mama a hug and was like, it's going to be OK. We're going to figure this out. And, uh, anyways, we ended up sitting there and talking about it. But the thing was, I knew I was not ready to be a father, but I didn't really have much of a say in how any of this went down. You know, it, it was just a nightmare scenario. Um, and yeah, so we she ends up deciding, okay, we're gonna keep the baby and we're gonna it's shotgun wedding, you know. Um, but the relationship was so toxic that we never actually got married, and uh, I'm glad because, um, you know, it, it was it was a seriously, seriously toxic relationship, and that, that you know, I'm not. I'm not going to blame it all on her because I did a lot of crappy things. Well, y'all and y'all were y'all were children. Yeah, we were kids. Oh, children. Kids. Yeah. So uh, Okay, well I got uh so now I got to fast forward a bit. So Yeah. Then how were the earliest? Yeah, so where where did it go from there? Like when did it really start getting bad? So after the first little while where he was a newborn and I had I had tripped and had this realization that I need to be a good dad and I need to be there. And my whole life was I, I graduated from high school early because I had a high enough ACT score that I could go ahead and go to the local community college. Um, and I was going to do psychology and try to get a master's doctorate. Uh, I did get a bachelor's, but anyways, um, uh, so we ended up, you know, staying at my parents or her parents and we were kind of bouncing back and forth. I was going to college all of a sudden at 17, you know, uh, and you know, it was a community college, but it's a good one. And, you know, I was, I was doing well with my grades and stuff and my main focus and priority was you know, my son, but then I got my wisdom teeth pulled and they gave me 30 Percocet tins. And, you know, I was loosely connected to the drug world from my 
my, I, loosely is a lie. I was heavily connected to the drug world. Uh, I just wasn't using at that point. Well, after I got those 30 Percocets and then I got a dry socket and they gave me a refill. And for the first time in my life, this has never happened before or after. They gave me 15 extra. Oh, wow. Uh, and so I got 45 Percocet tens. And like I ate a mistake at the pharmacy? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I've never had it happen before or after. And uh, I've definitely no called idea. them and told them that they didn't give me enough. I've definitely pulled that card all the time. Right. And they're like, we don't do that. Like, that doesn't happen. Right. So at this point, I'm I'm in my late 17, about to be 18 or so, I think. I, I think I was about 18 when I got my wisdom teeth pulled and they gave me all those pills. And I had already been getting pills here and there for my various injuries and you know things because i was you know i, I snowboarded and skateboarded running around i was i did you know wakeboarding all those types of things you know um and was just generally clumsy so i hurt myself quite a few times and i've been getting pills, but the wisdom teeth extraction was where i got a lot of them and I was given free reign over them. Nobody was watching me take them. And so I took them like crazy. And I realized immediately, I was like, oh, I'm not depressed when I'm on this. This is the best anti-anxiety and antidepressant I've ever been on. Yep. And um, yeah, so that's where it started. And I distinctly remember going over to my friend's house that was like basically a trap house. Um, but you know that my friend sold weed and his dad sold pills and they were you know one one side of the house was one and one one side of the house was the other you know and i went over to the guy who sold the pills his dad uh and i remember you know him him saying well we're gonna get some percocets and i just run out you know i was like three days after i'd run out and uh like we're gonna get some percocets but we only want like one or two uh, you want to throw in? And I was like, and I knew at that moment, like I, I really, really knew it was like a deciding moment in my life. Like if I chose to do this, that I was going to go down the wrong path, but I did it anyway. And uh, that's it. That was the first time I bought him off, off the street after getting my wisdom teeth pulled and it didn't stop for years, you know? And, um, Everybody in my life enabled me because I was making good grades. I was holding down my job, which I've got a funny story about that if you're interested. But um, yeah. So if it's if it's a uh, yes, yeah, go for it. <laughs> so um, basically, uh, whenever they changed oxy from uh, the original formula to the OPs, oh, the worst, <laughs> the worst day in yeah. history. Yeah. <laughs> so I was I was a part of the OP generation. OCs I had done like once or twice, but they changed it like right when I got into it. Oh man. Um, so I was not into the, the original Oxycontin. I, I, I had done it, you know, got one pill and chopped it up and snorted it, you know, years before. But um at this time they had changed the formula and I knew a guy who knew some meth heads and I would have never ever messed with meth, but they were meth heads 
and they all had a prescription for Dilaudid and, and the OPs. And they were all injectors and all that stuff. At this point, I'm just taking pills. I'm taking Percocet, morphine, whatever I can. And I figured out if you take the OPs and you throw them in Coca-Cola, it breaks down like and makes it instant release if you leave it overnight. So basically, you can take these pills that they were like, oh, these are worthless. Wow. I never even heard of that trick. How have yeah. I never heard of that trick? And we tried. <laughs> I've gotten that a lot because I've told this to people before and they were like, what? Really? You can do that? Yeah. You just you just and left it in the Coke and then you took you, the pill yeah, out and you then you could just crush it. Few, yeah. You break it into a few pieces, throw it in Coca-Cola and leave it for like six to eight hours. And it becomes instant release because the acid from the Coca-Cola acts just like the acid from your stomach. Um, but the pill doesn't break down in the Coca-Cola? It does. It like it melts and sort of becomes a gooey sort of substance that, that sits at the top. Um, and then, but, but where does anyway. the good stuff go? This is just fascinating to me. Oh, it's all it's all in the Coca Cola. Oh, just, so then it, you just drink the Coke. Yeah, you just drink. Oh, the Coke. okay, okay, okay. And okay, so okay. now you've got instant release oxy instead of this extended release. I gotcha. And so they were giving the ops away for nothing it uh, my my habit had been with lord tabs and percocets well they didn't want the ops they wanted to sell them to buy the lauded or other harder things or h or whatever and so they were giving these op 40s away for like six or seven bucks a piece oh, and geez. so i was taking those and i break them up and throw them in and i got to where my tolerance was 160 60 milligrams twice i would put four in and, and i'd leave it in the morning i always had two bottles of coke going one for my morning dose and one for my night dose yeah and i decided to quit or I, more realistically and honestly my parents realized that i i had been a this is a side note but it's kind of important i had i had been a lifeguard and then i started doing private swim lessons and i made bank doing private swim lessons um like i was a public lifeguard and i did swim lessons there at this you know hood pool down at you know in, in meridians uh bigger park or whatever and anyways after that i started doing swim lessons well i was putting money away every time because i hadn't i didn't have many expenses you know so I was saving lots and lots of money. And then all of a sudden I was withdrawing all this money that I had been saving to buy pills. And uh, my, my dad noticed and, you know, was like, are you, do you have a gambling problem or is, it, are, is this weed? Are you smoking that much weed? And I was like, if I smoked that much weed, I'd be like Snoop Dogg or Willie Nelson. Like, yeah, way. but um, anyways, uh, so that's, I decided to quit uh, because I was going to do a drug test for the job. Uh, I was going to work at Sam's Club. And, um, you know, so basically I was, I detoxed on the couch and I got like a week off of it. I went to do the drug test. I actually shit my pants while I was doing the drug test because I was sick still. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> It was a bad day, man. 
I'm sure. And then I, I got the job and I started doing the training. You know, they have you do computer training for a few days. And then I was going to be a sales associate. Well, you know, my addict mind, I was like, well, if I'm going to be a sales associate, I'm going to be talking to people. And I'm still withdrawing. Like, I'm still not feeling great. Like, I got to I gotta get something to get me through this. Like, there's no way I'm going to be able to. So I, uh, I went and I got some of those, those OP Oxycontins. And I threw them in Coca-Cola. And I, uh, I was going to take it the next morning. And so <laughs> I went and put my normal dose in. But I did not consider the fact that I had stopped for a week and or a little over a week or something like that and so my tolerance was not where it was before and uh, I ended up going to work and it was my first day on the sales floor first day on the sales floor I'm excited I'm like all right I'm gonna you know I'm gonna kick ass and take names hold on just a second my battery is dying on my phone um here we go uh so i'm sorry this is taking a second my phone was dying so it was distracting me um all right well that's annoying anyways back to the story so i i went and i took this coca-cola mixture and i was supposed to be there at 7 a.m and i got there and i drank like three quarters of it right off the bat and if not more and i had barely finished swallowing before i was like oh fuck <laughs> like i have made a huge mistake and um, <laughs> I, I i showed up and and it was the last day of the training stuff and so they had me playing literally like Candyland. It was corporate Candyland. They had you a, a literal board game and me and one other person were playing this little board game where we we move our pieces forward and they, you know, they ask you questions about, "Oh, what do you do if a customer says blah, blah, blah? And so anyways, I'm sitting there playing this stupid board game and I begin to nod and I know this is bad. I have gone way too far. What the hell was I thinking? And the lady, the HR lady, you know, she's the person who hires and fires people. She's literally the person who hires. Oh, yeah. And a few days before I was lucid and making sense and being a normal person. Well, I... I was nodding out and she looked at me and she goes, is something wrong with your eyes? Your eyes look right. <laughs> and I said, it's my contacts. Cause I wear contacts and I was like, it's my contacts. I, I'm, I know that that's what it is. Let me go to the bathroom and I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll try and fix it. So I go to the bathroom and I'm slapping myself in the face, like fucking wake up, wake up, stop this. Oh God, I took way too much. You know, I'm slapping myself, splashing water on my face. And uh, then it goes black. I have no memory. And, oh, uh, no. <laughs> I wake up, and I am in the full Baltimore junkie lean in the middle of the Coca-Cola aisle. And, and I remembered after I woke up why I was there. 
I was I was there. She she had me adjusting pallets in the Coca Cola aisle at the back of the store, and I nodded out. I realized like, but I was fully like, my arms were touching my toes, and I woke uh. up. And was like, whoa, what? Where am I? And there were customers <laughs> that were just wheeling around me with their carts like i was a potted plant or something like i was <laughs> they just they were just going straight around me like oh it's you know and um i i basically spent the entire shift you know moving from from uh the steel to steel to lay my head down for a second so i could nap and then wake up and then i'd kind of slink along but uh I mean, like, I seriously thought, like, oh, my God, like, the only way I'm going to get out of this is if the customers think that they hired someone with special needs. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know, that obviously maybe that worked out. It, I ended up going out to my car at the end of the day going, I just lost this job. There's absolutely no way that that I did not just lose this job. I was completely screwed. I got up to my car and I opened it and I nodded out. And uh, the, one of the managers came up when I was doing that and was like, hey. And I was like, oh, hey, hey I was tying my shoe because I had one foot out and one foot in my truck. And uh, anyway, so I, I kept the job for another for like two years. Oh, that's <laughs> that was amazing. My first day on the floor. Somehow I miraculously was not caught. The HR lady forever like looked at me weird though. She knew, oh, yeah. she knew she what knew. was up. They but know. I, I don't know how I wasn't fired immediately when they when I was like that. They have so many cameras in that place. And I ended up working for Sam's Club again, like five years later, after I um after I finally got got canned because I went to rehab and I didn't fill out the appropriate paperwork. Um but anyways, well, yeah. So let's so long then, story. Sorry. No, that, that that was a good one though. That's a solid that's a solid first day at work. <laughs> uh overshooting your dose story. So then what finally uh clicked for you? How did you finally get sober? So I I'm not gonna lie, I mean I'm I'm on Suboxone. So well, that's know, I'm not that's fine with me. I mean, do you not consider I'm in yourself recovery. sober? but I'm not clean. <laughs> like okay. I'm, I'm, I'm in recovery and I'm trying, but I'm, you know, I, I don't, I, even though I am in recovery and I think that I'm all for harm reduction, I'm all for MAT. I think that it's a great route. It has saved me. I'm able to hold down a job and not be out shooting, you know, drugs and doing all sorts of crazy crap. It, it can be very, very helpful, but I'm not completely you know, clean and sober right now, you know, well, and, and uh, what's the, what's, what's the longest well, and what, what clicked was I went to, I left Mississippi. I was like, I got to get out of here. Cause I'd gone to rehab a couple times and it was not working out. <laughs> Every time I came home, I screwed up. So I moved to Asheville, North Carolina. And, um, I, I found a group of people that, you know, were really, you know supportive now the sober house i went to 
turned into a flop house later kind of it was it was one of those scammy places that you know they they're using the liquid gold you know your your mm-hmm. piece to, to insurance scam but when i first got there it was all right and i got to meet a lot of really cool people because of this guy that i was friends with who was a house manager and uh i ended up you know getting a year uh almost a year i was about 11 months uh totally clean and about you know two years off of hard drugs you know i'm talking about 11 months with without a slip with a weed or alcohol or anything like that and then i started messing around with kratom and drinking occasionally when was that that was five four five years ago so i still had a couple runs left in me (laughs) Uh, but I, something happened whenever I moved there and I went to treatment and I had gotten kicked out of a treatment center and went to a state detox and rehab, uh, cause I got kicked out of the one that my parents were helping me go to. And whenever I moved up there, there, there were a couple of things, you know, first off, my family was like done with me. And I realized like, Oh my God, like, and I, that doesn't mean that I did right immediately, but for the first time I had that like seed in me of, I need to do better. Like I need to actually try. Cause until that point, even though I'd gone to rehab and I'd heard all the, you know, the NAAA, this, that, and the other, I just didn't have a desire at all to be clean until I moved to Asheville. And then I was, you know, they were basically like, here's some grocery money and here's a month of rent at the sober house. Bye bye, you know, figure your shit out. Yeah. Uh, and that's good. I, it was that I needed that at that point. Um, so anyways, I, 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 I realized that i needed to do better then and you know i met someone uh i have a fiance now and we were you know we were clean together uh for you know most of our relationship we had we had some slips but we you know we picked it back up and we you know put it back together again you know and the the whole beginning of the relationship we were 100 percent clean so that helps too. Um, I know that's the last thing you're supposed to do whenever, whenever you uh, are in recovery. You know, oh, you know, go get a girlfriend. <laughs> you know, whenever you're a couple months clean. But it happened, and I love her, and she's been supportive, and she helps me keep my head screwed on straight. Um, you know, most of the time, obviously every addict relationship is going to have its ups and downs. Every addict relationship is going to be, you know, there are going to be times where you can bring each other down. Um, but uh, I, I would just have to say that in general, it's been a huge positive for me um, because I have somebody there that, that whenever I start messing up is like, you need to do right. You need to do better, you know? And, and, you know, that doesn't mean, you know, that I'm, I don't know. I'll stop. (laughs) Well, so how long's the, the current, like, when did you get on Suboxone? 
this time? So this time, it's been about two years, I'd say, maybe a little over two years, something like that. Um, what really screwed me up was, uh, you know, I have I have a kid, right? So when I moved to Asheville, I was still, my parents had a relationship with my baby mama, and I was getting to see him. We would meet up, you know, about once a month, and I would get a you know, a few days to see him at a time. And, um, you know, I, I really wanted to be in his life, but I wasn't in a place where I was going to be able to be a good father. I was still getting my footing. And, um, I moved from Asheville down to the Pensacola, Florida area. And that was the worst mistake ever because, I moved somewhere where I had no community. I had no support, you know, even though I had had. Why you know, did you move there? My parents wanted me to be closer for my son so that I could see him more often because Asheville is like 11 hours. Yeah. And it, it's only like three and a half. To, so you to just that like area. picked a spot on the map, yep. basically. Wow. Well, yeah, it was so dumb. It was a terrible decision because. I I needed that support system and the friends yeah. and recovery people that I loved and that were dear to me. But I moved to a place where I knew no one. Uh, I had no recovery community and the recovery community down there compared to Asheville was, you know, not it was very small. You know, Asheville's got a huge recovery community. It's a recovery city. Um and, uh, you know, there was there was issues because my fiance was on probation. Uh, and so we had to get that we had to get that moved to we actually we weren't in Pensacola, Florida. We were actually across the border in Alabama. But Pens I'm just going to refer to it as Pensacola because that's the easiest way to you know describe yeah. where it was. Uh, but so we we were moving her probation stuff and her Asheville probation officer, which she had never failed a drug test for them or anything. She was doing well. Um, you know, and so he was like, Oh yeah, it'll be okay. Yeah. You guys can go ahead and move on down there. And then they sent it back to where she's from Atlanta, Georgia. And we both went to Atlanta and we stayed there for a while while we were waiting for the probation stuff to get sorted out so that we could move to Alabama uh, down by the coast. And um, they were dragging their feet. And guess what? She's from Atlanta and we're both addicts. And yeah. it was right down the street and it took absolutely no effort whatsoever to get really, really good dope. So we relapsed and that's where it started going south. And then we moved down there and I had no support system. And, you know, I, I ended up going on, you know, a run and then I got back on Suboxone because I was like, you know, I've done this so many times where I am doing well and I'm get clean and I stay clean and, you know, and then I just go and I mess it all up. And, you know, 
obviously I'd like to get off the Suboxone. Um, I'm thinking about the sublocade shot because I've that's, heard really good things about it. That's um, what I was gonna that's what I was gonna suggest. I have a lot of friends that were able to get off of Suboxone with the sublocade shot. Yeah. Uh and then uh, I mean and then you could do something like Vivitrol, you know, if if you're still to yeah. give you like an extra safety net after that. Because you've been on subs for two years now. What how much yeah. are you on? Yeah. Uh, I take two milligrams twice a day, so I yeah. I have gotten it to That's where good. I am not on that high, high dosage that they, you know, and, and my fiance is on it as well. You know, we both are taking uh, two milligrams twice a day, um, you know, and and I'm sure I, you want to be off of it, though. Yeah, that's the thing is like there are little it. I don't notice on a day-to-day basis most of the time, but there are little things that, you know, you start to notice like, oh man, my drive for anything, sex, motivation just to be a good person or, you know, my motivation and my drive is sapped. I, I always, I always just described it as it just kind of paints the world in a gray wash. It's just yeah. kind of like, okay this is cool yeah it's not great it's and, not bad right i'm here okay well, and, you know because of that you know i've had slips with benzos you know because yeah I, I can't you know it's it's not what i want to live the rest of my life like i need you know i i notice when my dose goes down you know i have more moments where i you know I have genuine like belly laughter and like little things that you don't notice until you are either off of it or even lowering the dose for me, you know, less fatigue or less, you know, so I don't want to be on it, but I also, you know, it, it, it has done well at keeping me from relapsing on heroin, which is, you know, my DOC is, is speed balls, with fistfuls of benzos yeah um, and these days yeah. that's that's basically uh a death sentence with a fuse like it's well yeah that's that's part also that's part of what really got me to relapse and go on that run down there in pensacola um was one the guy that i told you was a house manager that was a friend of mine well they they were expanding this sober house system that they had and they got a new house. Now, they didn't tell us that they were not licensed to be a sober house in that location, which led to some shenanigans. Oh, but geez. I was kind of like his assistant house manager. I wasn't a house manager. I did not have that title, but I was his you know, best buddy that was helping out. And, you know, I was just, you know, he, he drove me everywhere. When I first moved up there, I had no vehicle. I had nothing. And he introduced me to all these people. His name was Griffin and he was a great, great guy. He was really smart. And when he died, he he ended up, (laughs) he, I don't know how I didn't notice that he had relapsed, but he had relapsed while he was my house manager and 
you know, he like flooded the downstairs because he was fiddling with our broken refrigerator in the middle of the night. And uh. Then he was taking me to a job center and I had my birth certificate and social security card and all that stuff. And I was like, hey, man, we got to get there. We're going to be late. And he was like, I got to get my car washed. And he went and did went through a car wash. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, I, it didn't even occur to me that he had relapsed because he had several years clean and yeah. he was like Mr. Recovery. So yeah. I was just like, why are you being an asshole? Like, yeah, I'm you just thought he was get there. <laughs> well, anyways, he dropped me off and like called him back. This is because I left my social security and birth certificate in his car. I called him back. He didn't answer. And literally, I never saw him again. He went off oh, on a run. Man. And I I had one text like you know conversation back and forth there was a couple messages but he basically cut me out because he relapsed and he was ashamed and then he ended up overdosing and dying and when he died i had already had so many friends die at that point that it was really taking a toll on me but that one was like it really sent me on a downward spiral so i'm in this new town I don't know anyone. I have no recovery community. Hey, by the way, your best friend's dead. Uh, you know, it was a, a perfect storm for me mm -hmm. to go and relapse. And I met this guy who is kind of Reddit famous uh, on our opiates, fat loser junkie. And no uh, way. You know him? Yeah. You know him? Yeah. James was James was my best friend. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I had been reading his stuff since I was a early, you know, in my mid-teens. And uh, I moved down there and I was kind of jonesing and I hit him up because I knew I read some comment that, you know, said he was in my general area. And it turned out he lived like 20 minutes up the road. And so me and Fat Loose Junkie, <laughs> James... Uh, we, we went over and we got some subby text. I was trying to just use Suboxone at the time and, you know, not do dope, but he was doing dope. And, um, he ended up fucking me over by, <laughs> by getting me to take him over there so that I could buy two Xanax bars. And he pretended like he didn't have, like they fell out of his pocket or what. There was never any Xanax. And I immediately knew he just used me for a ride because it was essentially it was 45 minutes over to the city where we needed to go for the dope spot. And uh, so anyways, I, I bitched and yelled at him the entire way back. And uh, he didn't say anything. He was just kind of sat there. He, he and then took when we it. got back to his place, he was like, get out of the car with me, man. And uh, I did. And I was like, what's up? I, I know you fucked me. Like, you fucked me over. You got me to drive me over there, drive you over there for no reason. Like, I, I, you know, that that was a dick move. And he was like, dude, if you want to punch me in the face right now, I'll give you a free shot. He was like, <laughs> I, 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 I am sorry. I genuinely am sorry. And you know what? You were clever and funny in the way that you were, um, that you were bitching me out. And, uh, 
here's the thing. I'm going to get paid in a week or two. And I promise you, I will help you out and I will fix this because I actually really like you and your fiance. I, I think we could be good friends. And I was like, fuck off. Like, shut up. You're not going to pay me back. You're not going to, you know. And uh, anyways, he ended up doing exactly that. He called me up when he got paid. And he, he gave, he, you know, took me out and got me food. And he, oh, you wow. know, he, he, he really did go, you know, and, and he made fixed. it right. He made it right. And after that, we became running buddies, but there was more to it than that. You know, it wasn't just, sure, just drugs. Sure. We hung out all the time and he, had a shitty life like his life sucked he was disabled he you know his his how his the place he lived was bad uh, you know his mom was disabled you know it was it was a shack in the middle of the country you know and i i don't blame him for not giving a shit about getting clean because his situation was really bad but he was he actually had like a phd in addiction uh something you know he he, he was a he got a doctorate from i think it was uh i iit the illinois uh, illinois institute of technology or something in oh Chicago. iti yeah 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 and yeah he he was a really smart, really funny dude. He had so much potential, but he just he did he was yeah. he self destructed. And anyways, uh, he he ended up getting endocarditis, and they told him if you keep shooting drugs, you're gonna die. And I was like, don't fucking do this to me, bro. Like, and he was like, no, no, no. And I think he did stay clean for like two weeks which was the longest since i had ever known him and uh then he started going back to it and he kept swearing to me that he was just snorting he wasn't gonna ivy and you know eventually he he ended up uh yeah back in the hospital because he was shooting dope again but by that point i had moved because i realized as much as i loved that dude and he was an, he was a he was a good friend, but he was a terrible influence. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He, yeah, he, yeah. he was going to kill you. So, I have I have plenty of those. So I moved. Well, uh, no, 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 no. That was I got to I got to wrap us up, though. But that was yeah, yeah. that was quite the yarn, man. I hope that I'm glad I'm glad. Don't beat yourself up for being on Suboxone. I It is. Cause you're right. You're not shooting dope. You're not dead. Your, your life is getting better. I, I do, you know, on a personal note, just everyone, uh, I want you to like, enjoy that freedom and have belly laughs and like, you know, it's possible. Yeah. So however, however long it takes, whatever it takes to get you there, I'll definitely like support you moving in that direction. But um there yeah, man. there's also that wisdom of like don't it's like you don't <laughs> afraid to rock the boat right yeah yeah i don't yeah. want to i don't want to try and come off of it because it, to, to be perfectly frank i have not been in a great mental state recently i've been very depressed i've been dealing with a lot and um you know and and that lends itself to to benzo use and stuff like that but um you know i want to do better and i want to 
be clean and I want to do what's right for my son. That's why I moved back to here, the Queen City, Marinia, Mississippi, uh, is is so that I could I can be there and I can go to his soccer games and I can see him and you know, I I want to be there for my son because I was there for the first four years, even though I might not have been mentally there at the the end. But then I was absent because I had to move. I had to get out of here. I was going to die. Now, now, since I moved back, everybody that I used to run with is either dead in jail or moved or got clean. So, you know, I essentially have no, I have no connect here to that world. Um, really um so anyways i i appreciate you i i I ramble and rant and i will never shut up i'm sorry if i was not you're anything like that but you're good man but uh send me an email church on the drugs at gmail.com uh patreon.com slash church on the drugs and store fun to you